Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, you know, all of these various organizations and institutions, whether openly or covertly, you know, pushing their various demonic agendas, they can plot, they can, they can do what they want, but they cannot prevail because we are the church and we are unstoppable because God is unstoppable. Just to care today, say, greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. I am unstoppable. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Um, if you could stand to your feet today. And um, we're going to read together from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 to 20. The title of the message today is Unstoppable. And uh, I believe this message is going to speak to you. So let's uh, read together. When Jesus came into the... <clears throat> If we, if we have it on the screen, maybe we could just read it together. Uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, we are his church, purchased with his blood and hell will not prevail against us. Amen. The moment, I think it's interesting that the moment Jesus mentions uh, heaven uh, and, and building his church, uh, he also acknowledges hell. And I think that's interesting because... Uh, you know, on one level, we see uh, heaven working, but we also see hell conspiring to destroy and to hinder the church. Because um, even though heaven is with us, uh, hell never seems to be too far from us either. And that's the reality, is that, uh, you know, the Bible makes it clear that heaven seeks to help even as hell seeks to hinder. And so we must recognize uh, that we are in a battle. Now, Jesus uh, was not trying to say that, you know, heaven and hell are somehow equal and there's this uh, battle going on. But he was very clear that both are contending for your destiny. Both heaven and hell are contending for your life. And so as you listen to this message today, either hell or heaven, um, either heaven or hell will prevail in your life. And, and, and so I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I really believe this is a vital message and one that will make a big difference uh, in your life because ultimately heaven or hell prevails in every life. Because the Bible makes it clear that um, each person will spend eternity in one place or the other. And so again, 
I encourage you today, you know, don't fall asleep or uh, don't get distracted and don't walk out uh, offended. Amen. At least finish uh, the message and then walk out offended. Um, but uh, John chapter uh, 6 and verse 66 um, in the Amplified, after this, many of his disciples drew back, returned to their old associations, and no longer accompanied him. And so here, uh, uh, people were offended at what Jesus had to say. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it says, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Uh, because this is the truth. Long before they dress you up or put you in a box or place you in the ground, um, uh, you know, long before any of these things, eternity uh, is, is uh, you know, long before they, 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 you know, carve anything on a headstone, uh, eternity is already carved on your heart. The Bible says God has set eternity in men's hearts in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 and verse 11. And so eternity is something that resonates with us because we have only one life. And this is why we must live it for God's purpose. We must give God our best and uh, live for the purposes of God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Uh, Job chapter 18, verse 14 gives us a very vivid illustration of what this looks like in just one verse. He is uprooted from the shelter of his tent, and they parade him before the king of terrors. The New Revised Standard Version, they are torn from the tent in which they trusted and are brought to the king of terrors. Uh, Satan is the king of terrors. Uh, but the good news is the Bible says you will not be afraid of the terror uh, by night, uh, nor of the hour that flies by day, nor of the destruction lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall to your side, ten thousand at your right hand. It shall not come near you. That is if you know Jesus Christ. If you don't, you will have that one-to-one -one with Satan in eternity. He is the king of terrors. And uh, I had a very vivid dream this week. I was on this really high cliff, and there was a valley, and uh, right across from it was another cliff. And, and I remember seeing all these people, they were walking, and they were just walking off the cliff. They didn't even seem to see the edge. And they were falling and falling and falling. They just kept falling. And um, it was a very, very vivid dream, but you know, their fall was sudden and unexpected. Um, you know, they were off the cliff before they even realized it. And um, you know, this is the way many men and women, I believe, enter eternity uh, before they even realize what, what has happened. And sadly, many of them end up in hell. Um, uh, you know, for any of us who know what the Word of God uh, says, uh, if you die without Christ, you will go to hell. That might be politically incorrect, but it's certainly uh, Theologically sound truth based on what the Bible says. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, the devil is relentless. He doesn't give up. He is seeking someone to devour. Say, not me and not my family in Jesus' name. Amen? You see, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 to 12 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Remember, people are not your problem, even if the problems are coming through people. People are not your problem. Our battle is not against flesh 
and blood. Um, uh, but, but that battle is very real nonetheless. Um, because the enemy likes to stay hidden. That's the way he likes it because he's far more effective um, uh, You know, once he's not been identified. But even though we cannot physically um, see uh, our foe, we can see his work all around us. Uh, broken homes and uh, broken hearts and broken lives, betrayed spouses and bereaved parents, confused children, dysfunctional societies, disillusioned young people, um, shattered hopes and dreams and reputations. You know, these are all evidence of the work of the devil around us. And, you know, this is the reality. People don't just fall into sin. In many instances, they have been enticed uh, by the enemy. Satan lies and we believe them and yet another life is destroyed as a result of those lies that he tells. <coughs> um, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so it's very clear that the battle is for souls. Um, uh, and the devil sees that clearly. Sometimes I think the church unfortunately doesn't. And you know, that battle is being played out in our streets and our homes every day. I mean, uh, we see so many tragic stories. I mean, that heartbreaking story about that family in Tala. You know, the, 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 there was another this week in, in Westmeath. Um, uh, you know, week by week, we see these terrible things happening. Um, you know, not at some far remote corner of the world, happening right here in this nation. And so, you know, Jesus was clear, Dev the devil comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that work, uh, like I said, all around us. And, um, you know, murder, rape, abuse, addiction, war, racism, prejudice, suicide. It just, in some ways, it seems like, you know, mankind's story is just, you know, one tragedy after another. Um, you know, that really you could trace it all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden, you know, one long list of sin and suffering and, and heartbreak. And so we must understand that this is not a game. And, you know, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to, to you know, somehow flatter you. I'm here to proclaim a, an, an eternal message that can affect, uh, you know, the eternal destiny of those who hear it. And, and, and so again, you know, this is not... Uh, this is such a serious thing, and I believe as the church, um, we need to awaken to the times that we're in. The Bible says the book uh, about the men of Isaac, are, you know, they, they, they were mindful of the times um, that we're in. God wants us to be aware of the times we're in, because again, uh, it, it is about souls. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And this is why, again, he mobilizes all of hell to deceive mankind and to either, you know, insulate or immunize them from the truth that can save them from hell. And again, like I said, you could, you could look at the world and, and you could summarize nations as either having been immunized from truth um, or, or, or else, uh, uh, you know, immunized to the truth or, or uh, insulated from the truth. Um, uh, you know, you look at, at, at some nations, like I said, that have had Christianity to some degree, but many of them have turned away from it. And, and in some ways, you could say that those nations have been immunized to the truth because they've had just enough Christianity to stop them from getting the real thing. 
And other nations have been uh, insulated from truth. You look at many Buddhist nations, many Hindu nations, many uh, uh, particularly Islamic nations. You can't go there to preach. You can't start churches. You can't, uh, you know, to some varying degrees, um, you know, the, the people have been insulated from the message that can save them. And so Jesus said this in John chapter 8 and verse uh, 23. He said to the Pharisees, um, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I believe only Jesus truly understood um, you know, the, the, the weight of his warning. Because, like I said, uh, you know, in terms of nations being either insulated or immunized to truth, um, you know, does it really matter if you miss hell by an inch or by a mile? And this is, this is the problem. Uh, it, you know, Jesus said to one man in the Bible, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Well, you know, uh, being not far from the kingdom is not uh, uh, being saved. Being culturally Christian doesn't mean you're Christian. And I'm not in any way denigrating anybody's, uh, uh, you know, denominational affiliation. But uh, again, what constitutes dead religion? Dead religion is, is, is a faith that has no effect on the way you live your life. Okay, so uh, you're not going to be able to stand before God in eternity and say, I was Baptist, I was Presbyterian, I was this, I was that, I was that, I was the other. You know, you're either saved or you're not. You're either living for him or you're not. And is the, you know, do you have the fruit of your faith in your life? Amen. And so Jesus said to the Pharisees who were, you know, in many respects, they were devout, they were religious, they studied the scriptures, they prayed, they went to the synagogue. I mean, you know, they, they lived outwardly moral lives. And yet Jesus says to them here, um, unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sin. And so, again, Jesus understood the weight of what he was saying in that moment, even if they didn't necessarily understand. Because Jesus understood what terror awaits those who die without Christ. What, the terror that awaits those who die in their sins. That's what the Bible refers to Satan as the king of terrors. Think about the terror that grips the heart of an atheist who dies and within moments of taking his final breath discovers that everything he ever believed was a lie. When he discovers he, he doesn't just you know, turn the lights out and that's the end, that he still exists. That, that eternity is real, that, that heaven is real, that have, hell is real, that the, the devil and demons and uh, all these things that he thought were just fairy tales, suddenly he is confronted by the reality of, of uh, what he rejected and also you know, the, you know, the, what stands before him for all of eternity. I think it's a terrifying thing. And this is why Satan works hard to keep men from hearing and responding to the only message that can save them. Them from hell and destruction. You know, he actively seeks to hinder those who preach the message as well as the message itself because he wants to build his kingdom and assert his will. And, and this is why he works through, um, you know, various institutions of government, education, business, media, and sadly, at times, religion. Satan uses all of these as vehicles you know, to, to uh, like I said, uh, insulate people to eternal truth that can save them. You know, there is no doubt that we face many challenges and battles in the days ahead. 
Because in many respects, you know, these radical anti-Christian um, ideologies have hijacked, you know, media and business and our political and education system. Sometimes I wonder, are we sending our children, you know, uh, particularly in third level, uh, are they being sent for education or indoctrination? And that's something that, you know, you could say about much of the Western world right now. And that's a, that's a very dangerous uh, thing. But again, Satan has hijacked these because he wants to actively um, promote and celebrate, you know, paganism, perversion, and evil. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Disney. Yeah, Disney recently launched a new cartoon series about a 13-year-old uh, daughter um, of Satan who is destined to be the Antichrist. This is a cartoon. And, and ironically, but not surprisingly, considering the direction that Disney has taken over the last number of years, Satan is portrayed as a good guy. And, you know, this is the problem. I say, oh, uh, you, you know, it's harmless. Uh, listen, uh, when you are laughing at something, you are becoming desensitized to it. You're becoming desensitized to the reality of demons and Satan and hell and all of these things that are very, very real. And they're very real to those who have died without Christ. And this is why as the church, we, we have to start exercising discernment in terms of the media that we expose ourselves and our children to. And, and let me say this, in years to come, if you bring your child to me and ask me to pray and cast the devil out of them because they're confused about their gender, have all sorts of issues, the first question I'm going to ask you, what media have you exposed your children to? That doesn't just happen in a vacuum. I'm sorry, you know, children, you know, are, 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 there is so much of this suggestion and it's very dark and it's very dangerous and it's demonic. So you have to, as a parent, you have a responsibility to protect your children from influences that want to form them. Okay, Satan is a master at suggestion. He plants a thought in a person's heart. And many times it's, you know, a book they've read or a movie they've watched or a program they're watching. And, and you know, the devil is, is renewing their minds just in the wrong way. And so, anyway... Um, <laughs> Our society is in the midst of a process of normalization. The normalization and the mainstreaming of uh, so socialism, perversion, uh, pedophilia, paganism, and Satanism. And so uh, you might say, oh, Pastor, you've gone off the edge today. No, I mean, you look at, at, we're looking at the mainstreaming of Satanism in our society. And uh, let me say this, it's time for the church to stand up because there's people who are not ashamed to talk about their, their, their you know, crystals and about their wands and about their chants and about their hexes and vexes and all of these crazy things that they're involved in, uh, their orgies and their open relationships. And most Christians are walking around, you know, with their head hung and shame, uh, you know, afraid to tell anybody that they serve Jesus Christ. You know, somebody tells you tomorrow morning at work, where have you been? You tell them, I was at church, it was great. Glory to God. I belong to Jesus. It's clear that wickedness, perversion, and confusion characterize our times. You could say in some ways that hell has been unleashed in our generation in unprecedented ways. But in the midst of this, I have a message for you today. We are the church. 
and we are unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, you know, all of these various organizations and institutions, whether openly or covertly, you know, pushing their various demonic agendas, they can plot, they can, they can do what they want, but they cannot prevail because we are the church and we are unstoppable because God is unstoppable. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, we are victorious, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greater one lives in us, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. I want to read a number of Bible verses here. And um, I know there's a number of them, but I have a point that I want to make by reading them. First Chronicles 16, 31. I want to read them in light of, of the rather you know, disturbing uh, summary I gave of, of some of the things going on in our generation right now. First Chronicles 16:31. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Psalm 9 and 7, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. That's why I'm not worried. Uh, you know, when I say the things I say in my sermons, and I've been saying them for years. If you go back on YouTube, they're there. I've said it consistently for years. I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid because I'm not concerned about man's judgment. I understand the only judgment that matters is the judgment we will face before a holy God. The Lord, it says, he shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. If you are seeking the Lord, anybody today can say, I, I, I seek the Lord, I pray. I pray. I might not be perfect, but I pray. You should all have your hands up. <laughs> Maybe that's why you've got so many problems. <laughs> seek the Lord. Well, the Bible says he will not forget those who seek him. Amen. Glory to God. The Lord will not forsake you if you seek him. Psalm 47 and 6. Sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 93, verse 1, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Psalm 96 and 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Psalm 97 and 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever." Revelation 19 and 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, "Alleluia!" For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Thank you, Simi. God bless you. Praise God. The reason I wanted to read those various verses, and、um, I could have taken many more、uh, beside them. I just wanted to affirm the fact that, like I said, our God reigns. He is in control. We can trust Him. You know, John Newton, the man、uh, that God used to write the beautiful hymn "Amazing Grace," he said this: "There is one political maxim which comforts me: the Lord reigns." Just say it today: the Lord reigns. Amen. The Lord reigns. Come on. The Lord reigns. Hallelujah. We don't have to be anxious. He reigns. He's in control. Amen. And so again, it's important for us to understand God is in control. His plans will be fulfilled, and His purpose will prevail. This isn't some vain hope or religious aspiration or you know mind over matter. This is a settled fact. And this is why globalists, communists, Satanists, activists, anarchists—they can plot, they can plan all that they want, but God's will is going to be accomplished anyway. Amen. And this is why they can, you know, weep and gnash their teeth or do what they want, but they are going to see this house of cards that they have built. It's going to fall. And that's why we don't have to be afraid. Christians getting all anxious right now. What about the WEF and what about this and what about that and what about the other? No, God's in control. He reigns. We look to Him. We are unstoppable, and we're going to focus on what we're called to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew twenty-four thirty-five. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. That that right there is our blueprint for moving forward. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to see men and women coming to Christ, lives being changed, people being set free, God being glorified. You know what? Let the devil do what he wants to do. He's not going to prevail in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyway, Daniel chapter two and verse thirty-four. I believe you know gives us a, a foretaste of what we're going to see, and it says here in verse thirty-four,、uh, um, "You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." I don't have time to go through that, but here it's talking about、um, a, a vision of the end times, and、um, you know you the various kingdom, the king, the, the Babylonian kingdom, you the、uh, the Grecian, the Roman Empire, the various empires, and the final empire before Christ returns、uh, is is that of the Antichrist, and、um, it, it's、uh, referred to as the feet of of clay and iron mixed together. And、um, here the Bible talks about how.、Uh, A stone cut without hands—that's Jesus. He is the cornerstone, and it says, "Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." And so, again,、uh, we may be in the season where the Antichrist will be revealed, or at least, in, in, you know, we're going to see the birth pangs、uh, for the revealing of His kingdom. Because ultimately, you know, when the Antichrist is revealed, we'll already be taken up to heaven, I believe, in the rapture. But again, we we may see, like I said, a lot of crazy things happening in the world. But we have this. 
assurance that, you know what, uh, Christ uh, prevails, his kingdom prevails, and um, you, you know what, uh, certainly if it's not time for this to happen, uh, like I said, this is all going to unravel. All these things that they have planned, whether through, you know, uh, you know, vaccines and world communism and all of these things that they're looking to do, um, it's not going to prevail because, uh, you know, I was greatly encouraged this morning. I got up and I saw on Twitter, it was trending in, in uh, Canada, uh, hashtag uh, Trudeau must go. There was um, just, just under half a million people at that stage had tweeted, people from left and right, Christian, non-Christian, everybody is sick of that little black-faced dictator. Uh, and you might say, well, Pastor John, why are you always going on about the president of Canada? Because he is symbolic of many of the leaders that have been put into place by the WEF and Soros and all these others who are serving uh, you know, a, a cause that is not in the interest of the people that they're meant to represent. And that's a problem. When we have politicians that are not looking after the people and the nation that they represent, but rather they're looking after the so-called liberal world order, which is a nice way of saying a new world order, which is really uh, you know, an antichrist agenda. That's what it is. When they're serving that agenda, they're not serving God and they're certainly not serving you. And so, you know what, I take courage when we're going to start seeing a lot of these leaders being chucked out and being replaced by traditional leaders who are going to look after after the interests of their people. Amen? Is that too much to ask? To elect somebody who's going to just keep the lights on and, you know, keep, keep everything moving along? Amen? In Jesus' name. So, anyway, uh, the will of God and the word of God will be fulfilled. Is simply what I'm trying to say. The will of God is going to come to pass. Jesus said, I will build my church, we are an unstoppable force. And it's so important that we have the correct perspective on who we are in Christ, amen, that we're not going around fearful and worried and anxious and, you know, giving some of these people more credence than they deserve. And remember, we are on the side that wins. And if you don't know, just read the end of the book. It tells you, amen. So again, we're not trying to win a battle or push an enemy back. The enemy has already been defeated 2,000 years ago. Amen? He was already defeated in Jesus' name. The battle has already been won. Amen? We are the church and we are unstoppable. Come on. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Just say today, I'm unstoppable. Deuteronomy chapter 28 declares that we're the head and not the tail. Above only, not beneath. Blessed coming in, blessed uh, going out. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field. The Bible declares that we are a blessed people. The first 14 verses of that chapter over and over and over again declares that you are blessed. Just say today, I'm blessed. blessed. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're blessed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This is who we are. We are blessed, redeemed, righteous, favored, favored, anointed, called, chosen, saved, sealed, delivered, protected. That's who we are. We are blessed. And Satan is literally terrified that we would one day discover who we are in Christ. He's terrified that the penny is going to drop with some of you. Amen, because, you know, many times as believers, we're kind of tiptoeing around, I hope the devil doesn't see me today. <laughs> no, listen, he's the one that is shaking. 
He might be the king of terrors for those who die without Christ, but he is in terror of you because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Could somebody say, thank you, Lord? Come on. Glory to God. Jesus. Just declare today, say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am unstoppable. Thank you, Jesus. For too long, the church has seen itself as weak, defeated, inept, inadequate. No, we are blessed. Amen. We are blessed and we are bold. We are loved and we are lifted. We are the church and we are unstoppable. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to deal with uh, some keys uh, to this. And the first one is this. And I'm just going to deal with this today. We become unstoppable when we discover our righteousness. Amen. Let me read this. George Whitfield. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is one of those great mysteries which the angels desire to look into and seems to be the first lesson that God taught man after the fall. Thank you, Jesus. So what was the first lesson God taught to mankind after they fell, after they sinned, after they were separated from him? Because after Adam and Eve sinned, they, they were filled with guilt and shame. And that's why for the first time they, they hid. For the first time they felt fear. For the first time they felt shame. And, you know, they, Adam made a, 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 you know, a fig leaf bikini for, for Eve. And, you know, he had a, some kind of a, whatever, loincloth. Or I don't know what it was. But, um, you know, God, he clothed them in the skins of animals. And so animals, this was the first, you know, acknowledgement really of, of death. Um, first you had spiritual death, then natural death. But, you know, these animals were killed and therefore he put the skins on them. And so uh, blood was shed to cover their sins. And so immediately we see God institute the blood sacrifice and the principle of blood atoning for sin. And, um, and, and what this was, was a type or, or a shadow or a symbol of how one day the blood of Jesus would not only cover sin, but would cleanse from sin. That's why John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Job chapter 9 and verse 25 identifies uh, the issue for us. And the, 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 you know, the problem or the issue is this. We are sinners separated from God with no means of access to him. Job chapter 9 verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. And, and again, any of us can say uh, our life thus far has passed by so quickly. You know, whether you're 20 or 40 or 60 or 80, those years just pass by so quickly. Somebody once said, you know, that our, our days pass slowly, but our years uh, pass quickly. And um, the, here it's simply acknowledging the passage of time. Time is relentless. Um, uh, you know, there's no way of, of evading or avoiding, um, uh, you know, the passage of time. And um, anyway, he said, verse 27, if I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. Just like the song from the 80s, don't worry, be happy. But you know what, when you're going to hell, that isn't much of an encouragement. Because people deep down, even if they don't acknowledge God or understand spiritual things, deep down they know there's something wrong. When I was a young man, I knew there was something wrong. I was always saying, there's something I'm looking for, I don't know what it is. 
I don't know if it's the food I haven't eaten or uh, some kind of a drug or some kind of a relationship. I knew there was an emptiness on the inside of me, even as a young man. And, and I, was, I used to be always trying to work out, what is this that I'm looking for? But you know, the night I gave my life to Jesus, the night I surrendered to him and I was washed in the blood that was shed at the cross, right there and then I knew this is it. This is what I was looking for all my life. That was 31 years ago. But I tell you something, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, there's something, there's something in the gospel, there's something in Christ that, that meets a need that no one or nothing else on this planet can meet. And so, you know, he says, if I, if I try to ignore this, um, and put on a smile. He said, I'm afraid of my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. You see, deep down, people know they are sinners. They can try to grasp all sorts of ideologies or philosophies that say there's no sin. You can sit at the feet of a therapist who says it's all your mother's fault or you know this, that, or the other. It doesn't change the fact that deep down we know we are sinners. We are guilty. We do not meet the mark. It's like a little kid at the playground. They want to go on the ride, but you know what? The, 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 there's a little picture there of a person, and if they don't meet the mark, they can't get in. Well, let me tell you something. God's mark is so far beyond us. It's not even funny. No man or woman uh, can meet the mark of God. And that's why I said if, I, if, I, um, uh, if I'm condemned, why do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. One thing I would suggest to every Christian is you need to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and do so regularly. Because when you do so, you get the big picture of God. And one thing that comes across very vividly um, uh, when you read through the Old Testament is the amount of times that the pit is mentioned. And, and the time when, when the pit is literally personified, you know, it's, it, it's, it's presented to us as, a, as a, 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 you know, this living entity that, that swallows human souls. And here he speaks so certain, with such certainty about the pit that, awake, that awaits every man and woman who dies without Christ. And he said, um, for I'm not a man, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hands on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Here we have a very honest um, estimation of our human nature. We are not able to stand before, as, as sinful human beings, we are not able to stand before a holy God. And here, Job acknowledges this fact. And he said, you know, that I'm terrified of God because he's holy and I'm not. And I know I'm not right with him. And there's no way that I can become right with him um, uh, by myself. And so this is, Job identifies the issue. We are sinners subject to the wrath of God. And so our conscience condemns us because deep down we know we are guilty 
of sin. And this is why, you know, when, when uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, you know, John chapter 8, when they were looking to, to stone her, and Jesus said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And it says one by one they started to leave. I think it's interesting the Bible acknowledges from the oldest to the youngest. Because the older you, you are, the more honest you become. That's it. You start to lose your filter. You start to say things uh, because you just don't care. And uh, <laughs> that's, I, I like that. You know, and I think uh, some of the younger generation, you could learn something from the older generation because they weren't brought up with all of this woke, politically correct nonsense. They call things as they are. They say it as they see it. And, uh, and, and, and so it, it's interesting that from the oldest, um, because you know, the younger ones would have looked up to the older ones. Those who are looking to stone them in that society, people who are elders, whether they were Pharisees or not, were, were you know, treated with respect and they were looked up to. And yet, you know, these uh, young idealistic um, people who are looking to stone this woman, uh, I'm sure were dismayed as they saw all these people that they looked up to begin to throw a stone and say, you know what, I've tried all my life. I've tried all my life to be good. I've tried all my life to be holy. I've tried all my life to have it together. But you know what, I know I'm not without sin. And one by one, they started to leave until it was just the woman and Jesus. And so, again, Job identifies the issue that we are sinners. Our education, our wealth, our culture. How many of you know the Nazis are cultured? They listened to classical music. They were educated. Some of them could speak multiple languages, and yet they were murdering you know, millions of, of Jewish uh, men, women, and even children. I, I'm, I, it breaks my heart. You know, I, I follow uh, Auschwitz, you know, Auschwitz um, on, on Twitter, and you know, every day they, they share pictures of, of uh, you know, adults and, in many instances, little children. Some of them five, six, seven years of age. Some even three or four. Beautiful little children, smiley faces, pudgy little cheeks. And, you know, brought to, the, to Auschwitz and, you know, within, many of them were actually immediately murdered. And I, I think it, it's, it's tragic. And it's something that our society must never, must never forget. Because culture does not, just because you're cultured or educated or wealthy does not make you a good person. Mankind is capable of the most extreme wickedness. You can have a PhD after, you can have letters after your name, and you can be an evil person. And so, again, we need to come back as a society to realizing uh, you need more than letters after your name. You need to be born again. You need to know Jesus. You need to have the love of Christ in your heart. And, and maybe we need to get back to some, some more of this just basic preaching of the gospel. Because, you know, how we live... I love that line from the movie Gladiator, probably my favorite movie of all time, Gladiator. But you know, there was a, I remember on the poster, that's probably 20 odd years ago now since it was out, but uh, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And, and, and that's very, very true. And so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm talking about our righteousness, our, our education, our wealth, our, our culture, our technological sophistication. I mean, we're the most technologically sophisticated generation that has ever existed. And yet all our technology has done has enabled us to, to do more evil things. 
I mean, you think of the, the amount of pornography and the amount of child abuse and child trafficking and war, and we have weapons now that can, you know, wipe out multitudes of people. And so this, this is the issue. We must understand, none of these things that we have change the fact that we're sinners. You know, a, master does not ma- a master's does not make you right with the master. You know, a, a million does not buy you forgiveness with the king. Jesus said you must be born again. Because we can blame each other, we can blame our childhood, we can blame our circumstances or lack of opportunity, but ultimately we are responsible for our actions. The book of Ezekiel puts it this way, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. We will, we will eat the fruits of our actions. We will, we will uh, suffer the wages of our sin unless we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. Second Samuel chapter uh, 12 and verse 7, Nathan the prophet goes to David, points his finger and says, Thou art the man. But you know what? I believe that applies to us. Thou art the man. Thou art the woman. Because, you know, when we point our finger in accusation, three fingers are pointed back at us. And ultimately, the divine finger points at every one of us, declaring that we are sinners and we do not measure up. And this is why the subject of righteousness is so important. Because our conscience condemns us, we know that we do not measure up. Like I said, we can act like a victim and hide behind excuses and blame each other, blame our parents, blame the government, but the reality is we don't have a social problem, we don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is why the reality is this. We have a sin problem. And this is why, you know, each time man tries to create heaven on earth, he ends up creating hell on earth. Communism, socialism, fascism, feminism, Sharia, climate change, the list goes on and on. Because each time man tries to play God and create a perfect society without God, he fails miserably. Why? Because he is a sinner. And he can only bring forth that which he is, which is sin and destruction. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He is dead spiritually. Like I said, you, you can be the most sophisticated, educated, wealthy person, you know, celebrated, uh, famous, etc. But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that you are dead spiritually without Christ. And this is why as a dead person, that is all you can bring forth. And that is death and destruction. Sin and misery. The two go together. And that's why, like I said, in spite of our so-called modern enlightenment, you know, we look back at the, uh, you know, Nazi Germany, and, and, and we judge them, and we say, oh, weren't those people awful? And yet we look at this modern age, and we see how, you know, online, all of this anti-Semitism is still flourishing, because it's a spirit. 
And, and like I said, our education doesn't take that away. Our, 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 our you know, development as a society, uh, so-called, hasn't changed the fact that we are sinners. And that's why, like I said, you look at all this hatred, whether white hate or black hate or Asian hate. You know, like I said, if you judge someone by the color of their skin, rather than like Martin Luther King said, by, the, uh, by, the, uh, the, the by their character, um, you know, then that, that is ultimately uh, racism. You know, we need to judge people by the context of their character and not by the color of their skin. Because again, let me say this, God isn't happy if you hate another person a person that God has made in their image. And you know what? God made us all different. And that's a beautiful thing. He's a God of variety. He made us different. He made us in his image. And so anyway, as believers, we are members of, of a royal family. And really all I've, I've done today is just given an introduction. We're going to deal with righteousness in depth um, uh, the next week. Um, I, I'm back. Uh, but I think it's important for us to understand that you know, we're sinners with, and, and we have no means of access uh, to God. We have no means of coming before um, a holy God um, without Jesus Christ. And so... This is why, again, uh, the book of Job uh, talks about, uh, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, amen, and, and Jesus Christ, you know, is the answer, and he is the only answer, and um, it says in verse, uh, Job chapter 33, and, uh, and verse uh, 22, yes, his soul draws near to the pit, and his life to the executioner's. If there is a messenger for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he shall delight in him. He shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. That's Job chapter 33. God restores to us our righteousness. And the way he did it was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our condemnation. So that we, if we believe in him, we could be made righteous or we could be given right standing with God. And that's the good news of the gospel is that, you know what, today we can approach God not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of what Christ did at the cross. And this is why many Christians struggle in their relationship with God, is because, you know, many times Christians are basing their relationship with God on their performance. And so if you're doing well, uh, you feel that you're good with God. But if you've been falling short, if you've been failing, if you've been struggling, you feel like God is either angry with you or he is distant. And, and that's not how we are designed to walk. We are meant to understand that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you know that you are righteous right now if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? You might not be perfect. Uh, I could ask your wife and she'll tell me. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure. But this is the good news of the gospel is that in spite of where we fall short, in spite of where we fail, we are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Could somebody say thank you, Lord? Verse 28. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. So today as I finish, and as the worship group come forward, have you seen the light? People, uh, I remember 30 odd years ago when I was in college, 
people used to make fun of me because I used to read the Bible. And um, I remember I used to walk into a class with 50, 60 people and uh, some guys would start singing the Hallelujah Chorus, humming it each time, day after day, week after week. And uh, somebody else say, I've seen the light. <laughs> yeah. I've seen. Well, you know what? I have seen the light. <laughs> and it's a whole lot better than the darkness. Yeah. Amen. It's a whole lot better than the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Could you stand to your feet today?